Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I am Tommy Ashley, your host. I'm joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. That means it is the day after. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. Sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. And also rate us, review us, and subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, however you get your podcast, and however you consume your uh, digital media. Give us a review, five-star rating. Let us know what you think of the show. It helps us get up the list when people are searching for a great uh, college sports podcast. And if they search Inside Carolina, it should be near the top because this is one of the best. One of the best because of this show. Buck Sanders, I'll start with you. I mentioned it off the air, but I'm going to quote Mac Brown when asked about this ball game. He basically said it was perfect for our purposes. 149 to 9, played a ton of guys. Buck, your overall thought. Perfection is kind of a high bar to meet, but uh, I think they checked all the boxes that they wanted to check. Um, they got enough points in the first half that they didn't need to really play anybody in the second half. I thought it was interesting that he said that's the first time he's ever done that, um, which is a little surprising to me. But, um, you know, they, they got players on the field they hadn't had on the field before. They got to evaluate some kids. They got to reward some kids that are just practice fodder, basically, and uh, let them get on the field and, uh, you know, for the, you know, at Keenan last game of the year, probably some of those guys were even seniors, walk-ons and so forth. So for those purposes, I think it was, you know, as good as it could be. Perfect may be a different question, but uh, yeah, I think mission accomplished for uh, the game against WCU. Uh, uh, now it's on to more important things. Indeed, Jason, uh, when they flipped the scheduled games and put this game in front of Miami, I thought that was very beneficial for North Carolina. Uh, Miami picking up Duke relatively late in the process, certainly beneficial for them as they destroyed Duke and looked very good doing it. But uh, when you're watching a game like this, from your standpoint, uh, did Carolina accomplish everything they needed to or everything they wanted to, especially in light of what's coming next week? Um, I would say on the first one, they accomplished everything they needed to. I don't think they accomplished everything they wanted to by a, a, a long sight. Uh, and that's mostly because the second half, the execution that you'd like to see from your second units, from, your third, from some of your third guys, just wasn't there. They, they did not play well in the second half. And I can promise you that this is tape that is going to be revisited in the offseason <laughs> for a lot of these guys. And, uh, and that there's going to be some evaluations given that, you know, this needs to improve, that needs to improve, or, you know, you need to figure out what, whether you really want to play this game. And, uh, and, and so in that sense, from the, from the coaching side, you say, we got out of it what we needed. We got, we got some guys who, you know, a lot, of, a lot of guys in the second and third teams oftentimes are, by, the end, by this point in the year, they're kind of restless and frustrated that they haven't played more than they have. And then all of a sudden they get in there. And if things don't go as well as they, as, as they should, then you can kind of point to it and be like, you want to know why you haven't been playing? 
There it is. It's right there on tape. Eye in the sky don't lie, guys. <laughs> and so that's really useful. And you also, I think they also got a sense of what, when the lights come on, some of the reactions and skill sets of some of their guys are going to be. Uh, I think this was a very useful game for, for Criswell. He, he, had to, he had to learn a couple things about ball security right away. And about, you know, this is not high school. <laughs> yep, this may be a bad college team, but your placement can't be there and it can't be at this time. And you've got to understand how teams are going to play this. And then, you know, you got to – in college, in high school, you can, you can, rest, you can kind of overpower that guy, roll over and, and extend that ball over the, over the goal line. And there's probably nobody there because he hasn't gotten there yet. In college, against a, a bad college team, against a, an inferior college team, there's going to be somebody there to make contact. So you keep that ball tight unless you can see everything around you. So little things like that are learning experiences that are really valuable. But I think, I, I do think that there's probably on the coaching staff some disappointment with how certain guys and certain units played in the second half just because they, they were hoping that some of those guys would extend the the level of, of execution a little bit further. So a little bit of good, a lot of good, and a little bit of, of bad that then can be turned into good with some good coaching uh, in, in this game. If I agree with that, get some live action on tape. Because um, like you said, I don't lie. And uh, they'll certainly have the option to see that. But one thing – um, you know, we joke around about my favorite player and all that. And I was glad to see Chriswell get some play. Wait, we're joking about that? Oh, yeah, we're joking. We, yeah, it depends on how they do. No, always going to be the best player on the team to me is the backup quarterback. But, Buck, I thought Chriswell looked – I don't know if it's fair to the kid to say this, but I thought he looked kind of nervous and uh, looked rattled a little bit, especially when he throw that interception there. On, you know, you can't throw late there. But anyway, uh, to Jason's point, you know, the point kind of reminds me, everybody talks about how, you know, Alabama could beat the Cleveland Browns, you know, but the worst pro team. Oh, that drives me crazy. <laughs> for the worst pro team is still pro team. And then the worst college team or one of the worst college teams that are out there, Western Carolina, fits that bill. They still ain't high school, Buck. What do you think of Chris Wells' performance? Hmm. Um, yeah, I think, you know, he looked a little nervous. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that the throw that he had, it was nearly a pick six. If it hadn't been a penalty was a, a throw you probably don't want to make when you don't have a 40 point lead. Um, so, you know, obviously there's things to learn there. Um, and I don't know how nervous I am about it um, because I, I'm really not sure that uh, the future at quarterback for North Carolina doesn't belong to somebody who's not there yet. Uh, and that's not to say Chris Well can't get back. <laughs> Excuse me, everybody. Uh, that's not, not to say that Chris Well can't you know, dramatically improve and challenge and, you know, do all that sort of thing or, um, 
but uh, you know, I, I'm sort of thinking that, uh, you know, we got another good year from Sam Howell, uh, got a player sitting over on the bench who's, uh, prototypical quarterback, six, five, two twenty kind of guy, um, that can, you know, make all the throws. I, I'm not sure that uh, Chris Will is ever going to be the starting quarterback at North Carolina. I'd heard good things about him, you know, just anecdotally from different people. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not really not sure he's the future for North Carolina at quarterback. Um, I'd like to see him improve and get better and have a good career. But I, I don't know how nervous all of that makes me. Absolutely. The tools, the tools are definitely there. I mean, I think you could see the tools are there. I mean, the, the, the strong arm, I mean, a couple of the throws he made, you went, oh, yeah, that's a, that's, he's got, you know, comparable arm in terms of being able to make certain throws as, to Howell. I mean, he, he can make the same throws Howell can, uh, but he did look nervous. He looked like the game was moving 100 miles an hour for him, and, you know, that's okay. I mean, in, and the thing is, he'll be in position to compete to be the Carolina starter. And, he, and if he is the Carolina starter, I wouldn't be nervous about that in another year once he's had a little bit of time to get his feet wet and all that, partly because if he does win the job in another year, presuming Howell leaves when we all expect him to. That means he's pretty good. That means he beat out a guy that's pretty good, and he's taken that step forward. And you've already seen that the tools are there to be a, a, a top-level Power 5-type guy to make all the throws. So there's no reason to be worried about that. And, and like you said, Tommy, I mean, this is always the thing when, when people say, you know, that X team could beat this, you know, such and such pro team or whatever. It's like, yeah, you know how many guys on Alabama are going to play in the, in the NFL? Almost all their starters are going to play in the NFL. That's, I mean, that's crazy. And a number of their backups will eventually play in the NFL. You know how many guys in the Cleveland Browns are, will, will play in the NFL? All of them. All of them. <laughs> and yeah. many of them for – significant lengthy careers in which they're getting better year after year. And, you know, you get people like, well, but you know, as they get older, you know, they get slower and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You ever, you ever wrestled your, your dad when you were a kid, there's a real difference. I mean, you could be a, you know, 13, 14 year old kid and you might be stronger than your old man at that point, but you still ain't winning. Exactly. Cause that old man knows how to fight dirty and knows where you're going to go before you go there. And when you try to go there, it ain't going to be there anymore. And that's the NFL. And that's college compared to high school. And that's the thing, you know, when you see a guy like Criswell in his first, in his first action and a guy that hasn't really had all the opportunities to, 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 uh, to catch up because of the weird offseason and all of that, this is exactly what you expect. But what I'm looking for is tools. He's got the tools. And and what people don't realize is how special a guy like Sam Howell is. I mean, I think people realize it. I don't think people realize it, though, in the same vein. I mean, it just doesn't happen like it happened last year for Howell. You know, it happens once or twice across the country, and you think about how many quarterbacks are in that same position that it doesn't happen for. One thing, Buck, that I did like um, watching, um, I thought uh, – DJ Jones looked pretty good at running back when he came in, but I thought Elijah Green looked really good. And with Carter gone and Javante likely, I mean, these guys are going to be the guys. And then maybe a freshman comes in and helps out. But I, I think the running back 
somebody on the message board made the point that it's not that difficult to replace running backs um, in this type offense. I don't know if I 100% agree when we're talking about a guy like Javante Williams and Michael Carter, but either way, Carolina looks pretty good down the road at that position, and it'll have to be because it's next year. It's not uh, one more year of these guys. It's next year for Green and Jones and maybe Henderson. What do you think there? One thing to keep in mind as well, Tommy, is that those guys, uh, Jones and Green, they weren't running behind the same offensive line that uh, Javante and, and Michael Carter were running behind. So, you know, the depth on the offensive line at North Carolina is not great. Uh, they had already lost uh, Ed Montilius. Um, and, you know, once they pull those other starters out and, and they're running behind, uh, I don't know. I, I looked at the snap count article and some guys played that I didn't even really know were on the team. Uh, on the offensive line, no disrespect to them, but their, their names just didn't jump out the page for me. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you put, uh, Jones and green, uh, even if it's just those two guys, um, you know, behind and then what should be an improved offensive line next year, I think they will be okay. And, you know, they're, they're not going to be, uh, Williams and Carter that may as well make up your mind of that now that you're not going to get the same production and same efficiency out of next year's starters at running back that you got out of uh, Javante and and Carter who were multiple year starters and have had you know strength and conditioning had their feet under the training table and had coaching from uh, Robert Gillespie for several years, it's not going to be the same. But what they need to get, what they, the goal should be, and what they will hopefully will have is a solid running attack. You know, something that can be uh, complementary to the uh, passing game and you know, something that keeps North Carolina from being one-dimensional. That, and they need to have that. And uh, Jones and Green look promising that they'll be able to deliver that. And, you know, Kamara Edwards and uh, Caleb Hood, Hood are coming in. I think I saw that, that Hood is like 6'1", 230, um, and runs a 4'4". Four, four. Um, and it timed at one of the, you know, the, the legit camps. Legit camps. I think it was the opening or something like that. Um, so uh, they need to hold on to the ball a little better. And, uh, you know, but aside from that, I, I think they're going to have enough in the running game to complement what should be a really good uh, passing attack with Howell in his third year. I'm not concerned about um, what they have coming back at wide receiver, I think they'll be fine. Emory Simmons has impressed the daylights out of me uh, catching the ball. I think uh, Don Callahan said maybe on one of your Saturday live shows at CHL, Tommy, that he's been very surprised and pleased at how well Simmons catches the ball because athletically he's a freak of nature. Um, you know, fast, strong had like one of the highest spark ratings coming out of high school. 
but Don was concerned in, you know, at the high school level, does he have the hands, you know, to be a number one receiver? And, uh, looks to me like he does. We'll see next year, I guess, but I think they'll be fine in the passing game and solid enough in the running game, not to be uh, turned into a one dimensional offense, which is what you want to avoid. Yeah. And, and I think as long as, um, something catastrophic doesn't happen, Carolina's offense is going to be good, but the defense is where, um, the questions are, and rightfully so. And Jason, I thought it was pretty cool to look out there and see five freshmen or four freshmen across the front. Uh, tons of guys get, get a lot of playing time. I thought Cayman Rucker flashed and showed some ability there. What do you think about the defensive front um, and what they showed, especially when they were all out there together? There were, there were no – uh, fallbacks. There was no Chaz or Gimmel behind them. They were out there together with Asante and Jackson and other guys playing linebacker. What'd you get off the tape from them? So it's an interesting combination of things. You could see on the one hand exactly why those guys haven't been playing. Mm. <laughs> and you, you could see it with them getting gashed here and there just because this guy, you know, his hand placement was wrong or uh, you know, his pad level was a little too high or, you know, he was just, just not in the right gap the right way. A number, a number of times, little things you could see up. Oh, well, that's why that guy's not playing much. At the same point, you could also see flashes of, oh, wow, that guy's going to be a lot better than the guy in front of him. <laughs> so it's one of those things where, again, if I'm looking at that as a coach, I'm going, man, can you just get it together? Can you, can you just take the step? Because I'd love to have you out there because you're better than the other guy at least potentially, but also, please just get it right. Yeah, you can't take a wrong step and then get washed out of the play for a 25-yard run. And, and in, in tight, you know, on the interior with a lot of those things, I mean, you're talking about a foot makes a 70-yard difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you better, be, you, you better be really precise and things happen so fast that – you don't have time to be wrong and correct it. You have to be right. And so there were, there were just a number of those little things, but you're right. I mean, Rucker, there's one play that in particular that stood out to me where you saw the, the, the run go to the right side when he was lined up on the left. Uh, and he, he probably ran 40 yards and tracked it down to make a tackle before the, before the, the, the first down sticks. And you could see, like, man, that's why that guy's listed as a linebacker. But they're lining him up at defensive tackle. And you don't see guys run like that at that spot. And he's, so he's a really interesting player in Bateman's system where they're going to be able to move him around a little bit. I mean, he's, you can see at times where it's like, man, if he could just be a little bit, maybe 10 pounds heavier and a little stronger, you could really, you could really see him jump. But if he's able to do that while retaining some of the other attributes that he has, particularly his ability to explode and then be fluid and change a direction at that size, that guy's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. And so and, and he's got the mindset too, because he's nasty. He's yeah. And you could see the effort level from a couple of these guys, they want to play. And that's one of the things you always look at is, does this guy love to play or does he love to be a player? 
And that's one of the things, especially in a game where you're up a bunch, you're playing in garbage time. I want to see the effort level. Are you out there trying to, trying to show that you can play? Or are you out there like, man, I'm, I'm finally able to play at North Carolina. Good, I'm out here. And, you know, eventually I'll be out there, you know, next year I'll be out there the first unit. You know, is that how you're doing it? You're happy to be here? Or are you, are you busting your butt to show like, look, I, I, I belong out here and I'm going to be great. And you can see with a couple of those guys, the, the effort level is really high. Rucker definitely stands out there. And I also, by the way, want to call out one of my old players, uh, Chris Holiday, who got a tackle late in the game you know, from, from Durham Jordan, uh, was definitely one of our best players when I was there and uh, a guy that I felt could be a power five level player. Uh, it was just a matter of how he'd grow and all of that. And glad to see him out there at, uh, at safety in the, uh, in the, in the fourth quarter and, and getting to see him uh, come up and make a tackle for what about a one yard gain. So, you know, and that's a guy that as he develops over time, I mean, he's a young freshman. I think he was actually a year younger than most of our, most of our seniors. Uh, that's the guy that even though he's a walk-on, I'll, I'll be interested to see if he's able to find some time down the line. So just got to get him a call out. Yep. He's got some good genes too, as well. A little um, bit. A little bit. Uh, Buck, last question before the break. What would you see on the defense? i tell you what, uh, Conley and Rucker, and Grimes, and Miles Murphy, and, and all these guys, and plus whatever's Pender. coming in, and Pender. Bingley I mean, Jones. Bingley Jones is the best guy they got. Yeah, I mean, this defense could – there are issues right now, but this defense I don't think is going to be a worry either. That's why the, the future – games like this make me look beyond even next week in, in any bowl game and say, wow – you know, realistic Carolina fans think 2021, but <laughs> what do you think of the defense? Well, the, the difference, I think, between the offense and the defense, really, and what you saw, and, and I think just generally uh, most people would say they liked what they saw from the defense better than what they saw from the offense in terms of the guys that were playing in the second half. The difference there is, well, it's a couple, but uh, one of them is Bateman's been playing those guys all year. Uh, you know, he's been playing Grimes. He's been playing Des Evans. He's been playing Miles Murphy. Uh, he's played Clyde Pender. Uh, Connolly has been a starter. Um, and so was Grimes and so was Evans. And, um, you know, those guys, this, this wasn't their first rodeo when they were in there in the second half. Now, some of the guys had not played quite as much, like, uh, you know, Cayman Rucker. He's played some still. But, um, you know, you, you can see how – and I, 2021 for me is, you know, it'll be interesting how they do. I think it'll be an improved defense. But you, you start thinking about, you know, for me, down the road where you can pull a Notre Dame – and just switch out six defensive starters on one play um, and have no drop-off, you know, which is what they did against North Carolina at times. They just sub out, you know, over uh, half the team uh, from one down to the next. And I think down the road that's what you're going to be able to see 
uh, it looks like that's where they're building. I don't think they'll be there in 2021, but you start getting to 2022, I think you're going to see, you know, the, the ability at least to substitute quality for quality and do it an awful lot. And when that happens, you can stay fresh. You can stop getting gashed. Um, and, you know, coach players up on the sideline where you got guys just as good out there on the field playing. Um, so yeah. Um, the, the future is looking very, very bright on that side of the ball. Uh, and I, I can't wait to see that point where you, you're going to see quality substituted for quality, you know, in the first quarter uh, of a game. That's a Hockey great style point. line changes for the win. And all you have to do is look at, uh, at, at Javante and Carter for evidence of exactly how that can work, how much that can improve your team when you've got guys that can just platoon like that. Yep, and that's what they're building for. We've got to keep everybody together. We've got to keep it rolling forward. Um, mission accomplished against Western Carolina. Um, we'll come back after the break. We'll talk about what's next. But first, Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. So, uh, woo. The, yeah, this is a popular thing right here. This this read is always great. Gets folks lively. Gets Jason off the uh, dinner table. You get Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. Get all your Carolina gear, whatever you need um, for your family. It's Christmas time. Shopping. Call them up. Order things. Go online. Order things. Go see them in person. They need to see you. They need your business. And they need uh, your support in these times. As we've seen, places on Franklin Street are struggling. Let's not make Johnny T-shirt one of them. Let's make sure they are booming by all of our Inside Carolina subscribers and listeners and everybody, order one thing or multiple things from them for Christmas, for your family, for your friends, or for yourself. Do it. And, of course, if you're a premium subscriber, which at this point, how you're not, and if you're not, I don't know what to tell you. It's the best deal in the business. You get 10% extra off Johnny T-shirt. Uh. Let's take another short break. Let the national guys do what they do. We'll be right back with the day after podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Buck Sanders, and that's Jason Staples. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Rest in peace, yield waffle shop. Indeed. We are back. I can't believe. So it's the game, a day after podcast. That's Buck, Jason, and I'm Tommy. Um, took the fam to the game yesterday. Uh, beautiful Saturday in Keenan Stadium. Uh, I'll be honest with you. The ease of in and out during the 2020 season has been something quite enjoyable. Um, 
but to not see all the fans in there for the seniors, especially that was difficult. But Jason, to your point, they were looking for somewhere to go while I was doing inside Carolina a live show with Joey Powell and Chris Morris over at CHL. And I was like, go to the waffle shop. Mm, never mind. And that hurt. That kind of hurt my soul a little bit. That, what a great place um, to pick up some breakfast and, you know, throw it back and relive some memories. But anyway, and that's why, as I said before the break, we need to support Johnny T-shirt. So that does not happen to them. Buck, in your column, you reference this sentence, if I can find it right here. Going out on a pretty sturdy limb here, I think next weekend will be the biggest game of the year for North Carolina. I'll do you one better, but I think it's the biggest game that North Carolina's played since the ACC championship game against Clemson. Tell me otherwise or agree with me. Uh, I, I, let me ask you a question first. Do you think this is a must-win for North Carolina? I think it would be nice. Um, I don't think it. I don't think it's a must-win in that it stops the progress. But well, I that's think the it's first time I think I've ever talked to you that you didn't think a game was a must-win. Well, I'm trying to diversify my viewpoints. <laughs> um, you know, I have some pretty locked in. When you are get you old, tr you're trying to be less predictable, are you, Tommy? <laughs> yeah, less predictable. I th I do say I will say this: unless there's somebody that can point me otherwise, I do think it's the biggest game since that championship game in '15. Well, I think it's big for uh, several reasons. Um, one is North Carolina has tried mightily to get a big win on a big stage um, a lot of times over the years. And more often than not, they haven't been able to pull it off. Um, if this game ends up being – uh, the seven or eight o'clock game. I haven't seen if it's come out yet or not exactly when they're playing. If you've seen anything, I think I, I can't imagine this not being like the eight o'clock game on uh, ESPN or whatever, because is there a bigger national game this weekend that we know about? Uh, not unless Cincinnati and Coastal play. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's going to be a night game probably in Miami. Um, you know, big national stage, maybe on even ABC or at least, uh, you know, the maybe a feature game on ESPN. Uh, so, you know, there'll be a lot of eyeballs on it, a lot of people watching. And you know, this, is, this is the kind of game that for North Carolina to take the next step they need to learn how to win. Um, they need to learn how to win these games. Now, sometimes the team you're playing is just better. You know, that happens. But, you know, that there have been occasions where we have seen North Carolina go toe-to-toe -to -toe with an opponent in a game like this for the entire game and then come up a day late and a dollar short. So, I think they need to finish. I, I think probably – um, everything that I just said has been running through Mac Brown's mind, uh, since the Notre Dame game, or maybe even before that, that this is, this is the kind of game that can, uh, turn around the perception of, uh, North Carolina, even of themselves. And so, uh, you know, I think from that standpoint, I think you're right. This is a very, very big game, uh, and, and one that, 
uh, I won't call it a must win. I, I rarely use that kind of language, but um, you know, it's, it's certainly a very big game for North Carolina coming up next Saturday. Jason, uh, I mentioned earlier, this game was good for Carolina to get ready for Miami or to polish up for Miami. This game or, or Miami's game against Duke did the same for them. Um, pretty much similar game that they played with Duke. Uh, for the program, how important is this game against Miami? For the, you know, not necessarily just to win, but what could come after the fact. Um, and, and that's not guaranteed, even if they do win. But this is the games that Mac Brown, or this is a game that Mac Brown came back for. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting thinking about what the most important games have been in recent years. And I think it's interesting. It's, it's one thing to look in in look prospectively, right? If we're looking prospectively, this does seem to be right up there. I think if we look with hindsight, with the benefit of hindsight, that, that 2019 South Carolina game, I might mark as more important than this one. Just because winning that game allowed Mac Brown to stamp on back and I'm going to be a force when it comes to Carolina recruiting, when it comes to building this program. South Carolina, you were on the descent. Other teams in North Carolina understand that we are the brand. We are the, we are the flagship. And here we are and take a look at what we're, what we're going to become. That, that game was really important. And if you think about it in terms of what bowl game they were able to go to and all of these things, it all traced back to that, that first win. So you could, in hindsight, I think this game is less important than that one was. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be a while before we, we see a game that's more important than that game. But it's a really important game. Because if you're looking at brands on the coastal side of the ACC, now I, I'm among those that's hoping that we're going to do away with those divisions, that, that the COVID that one of the potential positives that has come out of the COVID season has been, man, it's, it's kind of nice to play regional rivals a little more often to play, you know, an extra little, little bit, little bit uh, where it's not divided up the way that, that things are in, in the Atlantic and coastal divisions. It, it'd be nice to go to, to a, you know, cons- to a permanent rivals pod system. And if that's the case, then this, this may change a little bit, but, in the current division structure, the only team, the only program that has comparable, and you can argue, I think, pretty, pretty easily better, natural recruiting benefits, advantages. The only one that has, has better or at least as good of natural recruiting benefits in terms of brand and location and all sorts of other things in the, in the coastal division compared to UNC is Miami. So if UNC wants to, wants to build into, and I know Mac Brown's vision here is for UNC to become the, the Clemson of the, of the, of the, the coastal division. If UNC wants to become that, then the rivals for UNC are not NC state and Duke and even Virginia tech, Virginia. Those aren't your rivals. The team you got to beat to show that you're that, that you're that program is Miami because they're the ones that with Miami location 
with the Miami brand, even though Miami hasn't won anything since 2000, what, 2001, really since they've entered the ACC, that brand is still Miami brand. The only program that has that brand that can compete and that has a location that's advantageous is Miami. So if you're going to, if you're going to declare that we're going to be the Clemson of the, of the coastal, if you're going to take that step, you got to beat Miami every time. And you got to show that when there's, and the other thing is you got to win your recruiting battles. Not it's nice to beat Virginia and Virginia tech for recruits. You got to, you got to do that to build, but where you really want to get to is where you're beating Miami and Florida state and Clemson for recruits. And then eventually on occasion beating Alabama and LSU and Clemson and Ohio state for recruits. See, that's the progression. You, you beat, Virginia and Virginia Tech and NC State for recruits to get to that level. And then you start beating those big bo- the real big boys, your Clemsons, Ohio States. And I would, again, in, re- in terms of recruiting cachet, Miami is generally recruiting against those teams. Now, they haven't done much with it. But if you're going to get those players, you have to prove to them that Carolina – is not only the really cool Jordan brand, it's, it's not only Michael Jordan's school. It's not only the school that has great basketball and that you know the brand and it's a top five brand in, in, in college sports. All of those, it's not only that, but this is a football brand. And you want to come here and wear Jordan brand football stuff. That's, and, and that this isn't just a place that, you know, you can go to, you know, it's kind of cool. No, this is a place where you can go to compete to be a national program. And to do that, you beat Miami. That's, that's the fastest path to that. You consistently beat Miami. And you beat Miami when it's an 8 o'clock game. Indeed. Uh, on the national scale. Uh, we're recording this Sunday morning. I don't see a time. I, I've heard 3.30. I've heard 7.30. I think it'll be at some point. Pop point down. is when it's a national game. Yeah. It needs to be prime time, and Carolina needs to get it and get it done. The, the talk – is over and buck. That's why I think it's such a huge game is I'm all for the talk and the talk about doing it. And 2020 is probably a year early than I thought that they would be doing this. We had this discussion all during the pandemic and the shutdown and all that stuff. But, but for that sense, Jason's made me think it's a must game. Does that, does that make you feel better that I went my usual way, I couldn't avoid it. I tried to stay away from it. Seriously, but close out. I don't, I don't think it took much pushing to get you there, <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you. Uh, um, yeah, um, I, I, I really don't know. Um, I think Miami is kind of in its own world when it comes to recruiting. Um, and, uh, you know, Miami and it's, you know, they recruit a couple of blocks from where the university is basically to – to get five-star players. So, you know, I, I don't know how often North Carolina will ever go head-to-head for a uh, recruit um, uh, against Miami. Miami does seldom comes north. Florida State used to quite a bit. They, they, they would come up into North Carolina and snag recruits all the time. But um, Miami, is ne- they've never taken that path. They – there's so much talent, you know, within a stone's throw of the campus that they don't really go there. So I, I don't know it's as important for, you know, head-to-head against Miami as it is 
just developing the cachet that yes, uh, North Carolina is uh, you know a football school as well. We're one of uh, those dudes. We're one of those dudes. I, you know, as Tommy, as uh, Jason just said. So from that uh, perspective, yeah. Um, and you know, it's funny. Uh, I was everybody's been hoping for noon games this year because that's what Mac likes, and they seem to have done better in noon games. But last year they beat Miami in a night game. Uh, so. Um, you know, this is probably one of the top five to six moments in Keenan Stadium when that play happened. It was an unbelievable game. One of the best games I've been to in person, and I've been to some really good games. Yep. Got to get so, to that. You know, uh, I, I don't think that the fact that it's uh, maybe a night game it will be a deal breaker or, you know, um, really hurt North Carolina's chances in that game because they've done it before against Miami. And against some of those, a lot of the same players that are going to be there next weekend, they're going to have a few different players though. And the one that makes me really nervous is the Eric King, because the other thing North Carolina has got to someday somehow prove that they can get their hands on a quarterback that can run the ball really well. And he can run it really well. So really uh, well. that's, uh, that's something that we're going to have to be talking about all week long. Uh, you know, you, you look at his running stats this year. Some teams have done pretty well against him. Others, not so much. Um, and I think he had over 100 against NC State. Uh, so, you know, and, and I think maybe, and to some extent, how well he runs the ball is dependent on how much he really needs to win the ball for them to win. If they, if they don't need to, him to run the ball really well to win the game, he's probably not going to do so much of it. So, um, you know, a lot of those things factor into it. There's a lot that North Carolina has to prove on several fronts, uh, including being able to at least, you know, limit the, the damage that King is going to be able to do on Saturday night will be um, a huge part of what everybody will be watching. Saturday night. Indeed, big game. Hopefully, Saturday night, Miami and Carolina down there uh, on a national scale. This has been the day after podcast. That's Buck Sanders with his usual wisdom, Jason Staples with his usual expertise, and me just here saying random stuff. Uh, that the dulcet sort of, tones. The the, uh, the molasses like voice. I do want to take a second to give a shout out to all those seniors that Mac Brown honored on the field. Uh, difficult time in 2020. They've been through a lot um, over the last four years, some five years, given what Carolina's football program has gone through. Um, and to see a guy like Michael Carter um, have a good day and to see a guy like Jace Ruder get a chance to play. My son's trying to get into Carolina. I said, that's the kid that you want to model. He, I don't want to ever hear somebody say they don't have time to do something when you graduate from Keenan Flagler, Keenan Flagler in three years, you play college football and you stay hurt and you have to deal with the rehab and you still keep it together and do all that. And, uh, you know, he said, well, I see him, you know, live streaming on social media all the time too. And I says, and he's got time to do that and still get his work done. So shout out to Reuter and the rest of the seniors. Big deal to be able to graduate from Carolina and play for Mac Brown and all that good stuff. Buck and Jason, I do appreciate it. Thanks for joining me.
Appreciate it as always, Tom Ann, and always like to have uh, renew my nodding acquaintance with Jason. He talks and I nod. Absolutely. <laughs> and he enjoys his fun, meals. Guys. And he enjoys breakfast. Uh, next time you hear from us, it will be, or from Jason and I, will be on the Game Plan Podcast. It's a big one. We'll look forward to talking about it later in the week. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.